0: MCA proudly presents the Mystery Theater. Come in. Welcome. I am Tammy Grimes. What is the look of love? Some might perceive it as gazing into the eyes of that special person you care for deeply. And experiencing the warm glow that comes from knowing you were truly meant for each other. Unfortunately, there are times when that glance is returned and an entirely different emotion felt. Unrequited love can be difficult. But when the pretext of love is expressed for ignoble intent and the truth is discovered, love can be downright dangerous. I can't believe it. I simply can't. You must, Winnie. Your
1: Armand is most certainly my Andre. Why would he tell us both that he loved us if he didn't? Our suitor loved something about us, all right. Our money. We've been taken, but good. I'll call the police. Don't you touch that phone. You'll do no such thing. I don't understand. We are going to take care of that two-timing gold digger all by ourselves
0: our mystery drama Widow Wonderland was written especially for the Mystery Theatre by Steve Lehrman and stars Elspeth Eric and Fred Gwynn I'll be back shortly with Act One you're listening to the Mystery Theatre on your conversation station WMCA New York Our story begins on a bright and cheery morning, when Muffy Van Vreeland's mood is anything but. Ordinarily, Muffy is a refined and reserved woman, not prone to outbursts of great emotion. You'll have to pardon her today, for Muffy is flustered, upset, and embarrassed. But, as you will soon learn, she has good reason. The well-to-do widow has summoned police detective Harry Warren to her palatial residence to relate a most unfortunate
2: tale of woe.
1: This is terribly difficult for me, Detective Warren.
2: Just take your time, Mrs. Randriller.
1: Talking about it only makes me feel more like a fool.
2: Exactly what did happen?
1: He seemed so gentle, so nice and considerate. Whoever thought he would turn out to be such a scoundrel?
2: Yes, uh... I'd be interested in knowing the man's name, Mrs. Van Drillen.
1: It's Mercato. Andrew Mercato.
2: Well, it's possible the name is just an alias. You know that.
1: It wouldn't surprise me one bit if it's a phony just like everything else about him.
2: How did Mr. Mercato make your acquaintance?
1: Well, this may sound like an odd place to strike up a friendship, but we met at the Oak Lawn Cemetery.
2: Hmm. What brought you out there?
1: It was the first anniversary of my dear Leonard's passing.
2: You
1: have no idea how I missed him.
2: I'm sure it's been very difficult for
1: you. It was an appropriate day to visit, so I drove out there and put some flowers on Leonard's grave. As I started to leave, this man joined me.
2: Uh, you mean Mr. Mikado?
1: Yes. He saw that I'd been crying and offered me a handkerchief.
2: Well, that was kind of him. Uh, did this Mr. Mercado tell you what he was doing at the cemetery?
1: Yes, he was there to pay his respects to his departed wife, uh, Eleanor, I believe. it huh. That was quite a coincidence. Yes, quite. We talked as we walked to the parking area. As we were about to go to our respective automobiles, Andre asked me if we might have dinner one evening. And you agreed? Well, Andre was most charming, and I'd been feeling very lonely.
2: Uh, You and this Mr. Mikado became close friends, I take it.
1: To the point that when Andre asked for my hand in marriage, I accepted gladly and gratefully.
2: Uh, Do you know Judge Harlan? Just by reputation only.
1: Well, Roscoe Harlan is a long-time family friend. Andre and I agreed that an elaborate ceremony would not be in good taste, so we were to be wed in the judge's chambers.
2: I see. Uh... Only Mr. Mikado never showed up.
1: I'm still waiting. I've never been so humiliated in all my life.
2: Yes, well, I'm sorry things didn't work out for you, Mrs. Branson.
1: Yes, so am I. Andre and I had such wonderful plans.
2: I'm really not sure that I'm the person you should be telling all this to, ma'am.
1: Why not? You're a police officer.
2: Yes, well, breach of promise is not a criminal offense.
1: Andre didn't only abscond with my heart, Detective. Ten thousand of my dollars are also in his possession at the moment. I'm sorry, sir, but
3: you'll have to return one of those books to the shelf. Yeah? How come? It's library policy that a person can remove only two books from the same section. Mm -hmm.
4: All right, I'll put one back.
3: I believe you're next, Mr. Bishop. Nice to see you again.
4: Well, good morning, Miss Harris. How are you this lovely day?
3: Fine. Just fine. Um, how can I help you
4: today? Uh, yes, yes. There is a particular issue of the uh, Herald Chronicle I'm interested in seeing.
3: Of course. But if the is dated more than three months ago, I'll have to locate it in our microfilm file.
4: <laughs> well, you'd better get out your catalog, then.
3: Oh, uh, Which particular edition are you interested in?
4: Uh, The one dated exactly a year ago today.
3: You're all set, Mr. Bishop. I've threaded the microfilm containing the material you wish to read onto the viewer. All you have to do to see each page individually is uh, turn this knob. But you've done this before, so... I'm sure you'll
4: manage just fine. Yes, I'm sure that I will. Thank you. No, I'll just fast-forward this thing to that part of the paper that always brightens my day. The obituaries. Hmm. Well, here's something. Marcus Croft, president of Croft Enterprises, was laid to rest today after suffering a fatal heart attack. Croft, a self-made man, single-handedly turned a small textile business into one of the largest retail chains in this part of the country. Croft is survived by his wife, Winifred. Burial will take place at the Shady Grove Cemetery. Well, I'm sure it'll be easy enough to find that one. Uh, Yeah, the uh, punk finally confessed to those burglaries, Captain, and I'll have the report on your desk before I go off duty for the day. Uh, Goodbye, Captain.
2: So, you made a good bust after all, Petey.
4: Hey, look who's back. How's your case coming, Harry? Uh, Was Mrs. Van Drielen able to provide any uh, halfway decent leads, huh?
2: That poor woman was very badly shaken up. Well, whoever is pulling this con is a
4: first-class creep. Hmm. How many rich dames has he drawn into his web so far? Uh, Mrs. Drillen makes number four. Now, are you positive it's the same gold digger who's setting all these hearts aflutter?
2: Well, it has to be, Petey. The M.O. is the same in every case, down to the last detail.
4: <laughs> this dude must be a real charmer.
2: Uh, well, when I get my hands on this Romeo Mercado, or whatever his real name is, it's going to be quite a while before he has another date.
4: Well, he's good for three to five years on every count. Uh, how much do you figure he's taking these women for, huh? About 40 grand. Maybe more. Woo. He gets them to write out those checks as easy as if they were making up a
2: grocery list, huh? Woo-hoo. What a racket. Yeah, well, you have to give the guy credit. He does his homework. He always picks women who have been widowed, but not
4: too recently. Ah, so it's uh, a good bet that his marks are right to hear a little sweet talk and have someone around to make them feel less lonely, huh?
2: Right. He whines and dines them. And then he pops the big question. (laughs) What more could they want? Nothing, nothing. That's why they fall for a scam. Yeah, and then, when he tells them he's got this big business deal brewing, these ladies have the resources. So they must be only too happy to hand over a chunk of their inheritance. Funny thing, as upset as Mrs. Van Vandrelen is about being taken, she she talks as if she still cares cares for this clown. Oh, ain't love wonderful. Mm -hmm. One thing I still can't figure out is how he meets these women so easily. He's just a smoothie. Listen, Petey, he's met each one while they were paying a visit to their husband's grave. Uh, You know, a cemetery doesn't sound like the best place to hang around
4: if you want to meet girls. Well, yeah, I'll give you that.
2: Well, if I can figure out how he knows they're going to be there, paying their respects, that might provide me with a link I need to lead me to them.
4: I wish you luck, Harry. Darling.
3: Darling, Marcus. I can't believe it's been a whole year since you've been gone not a day, not an hour goes by that I don't think of you. My life is so empty without you. I miss you, I miss you terribly. Uh,
4: pardon me, ma'am.
3: Oh, good heavens, who are you
4: oh, i uh, I'm sorry if I startled you.
3: Oh, they...
4: That's all right. I didn't hear you. Please, please forgive my intrusion. I simply could not help but notice the beautiful flowers you laid on that headstone. Uh,
3: Marcus always enjoyed freshly cut
4: flowers. Yes, and these surroundings are so peaceful and full of natural beauty. Mm. It just seems a shame that the living who come here are never able to truly appreciate it.
3: Oh, that, that's true enough, I suppose.
4: Uh, are you leaving now?
3: I was about to, yes.
4: But I'm on my way to the gate as well. Uh, may I walk with you?
3: Well, if you'd like.
4: Your late husband rests here, I assume.
3: Yes. We were married for 27 years. Oh.
4: Are you here often?
3: Yes, fairly regularly. It gives me comfort to visit, to be near Marcus.
4: Oh, there's little else in my life now. So yes, well, I, too, frequently feel the need to be close to my departed wife. My dear Martine reposes in a lovely spot, but just beyond that grassy knoll. Oh, you have my
3: deepest sympathy.
4: Oh, thank you. It was a year ago today that I lost her. It seemed only proper that I be here to commemorate this sorrowful anniversary.
3: A year ago today? Now, oh, there's a coincidence.
4: Oh, I'm afraid I don't understand.
3: But today marks the first anniversary of the death of my husband as well. Oh,
4: really? It's unfortunate that we share such sad common ground. Oh, my, my goodness. Please, how rude of me. I, I've neglected to introduce myself. I am Armand Grinville. My name is Croft. Winifred Croft. I am most pleased to make your acquaintance, Mrs. Croft. Thank you. You know, I I, I think you're the first person I've spoken with since I've been alone who, who could truly understand my ordeal.
3: My car is right over there. Thank you for
4: walking me to the gate. Oh, no, no, no. It's been my pleasure. And thank you for listening to the ramblings of a a rather lonely old man. Oh, you shouldn't
3: think of yourself in that way, Mr. Grenville. Not at
4: all. You see, I've not spoken to anyone the way I just did since I've lost my martine. You're very easy to speak to. Well,
3: I hope I've helped you feel a bit better.
4: Yes, you have. Very much so. You're a most charming woman. Why? Uh, thank you. Mrs. Croft, I, I may be totally out of line in making this request, but... <clears throat> might you join me for lunch?
3: Lunch? Well, I...
4: I, I don't know. Oh, my intentions are, are perfectly honorable, I assure you. Oh, of course they are. Uh, at the very least, perhaps we can help each other forget our unhappiness. At least for the time it takes to die... Oh, I,
3: I don't suppose there could be any harm, Mr. Grenville. I accept your invitation.
0: Well, now, history seems to be repeating itself. Mr. Augustus Bishop, alias Andre Macato, and now Andre Grenville, has deftly managed to make the acquaintance of yet another wealthy widow. But is Winifred Croft as vulnerable to her suitor's charms as her predecessors? Or will she see through the larcenous Lothario's roots and draw the line before she draws a check? We'll learn more as our story progresses in Act Two. And now, the Mystery Theater continues on WMCA, New York. Winifred Croft Partaking of that luncheon could be likened to Adam partaking of the apple offered by Eve. Neither thought any harm could come of it. A starry-eyed Winifred is still oblivious to the consequences of her actions. A whirlwind courtship has taken place. This particular night, Winifred has prepared a sumptuous candlelit dinner at her home. Armand is enjoying the meal greatly. And why not? Since figuratively speaking... He has the
4: widow eating out of the palm of his hand.
0: Was dinner to
3: your satisfaction?
4: Oh, everything was superb. (laughs) You outdid yourself. I'm glad you liked it. The food, as well as the company, keeps getting better and better.
3: That's very nice to hear.
4: I owe you a great deal of gratitude, Winifred.
3: What did I do?
4: Well, I've begun to enjoy life again. And it's all because of you.
3: You've returned the favor, Armand, many times over.
4: Yeah, we've known each other, but a, a very brief time. I, I never thought it would happen again, and certainly not so quickly.
3: Armand, what are you saying?
4: Uh, I've fallen in love with you, Winifred. I'm in love with you, and I want to marry you. What? I, I didn't mean to propose us so, so crudely.
3: Why? I'm not sure I I can believe I'm hearing this.
4: Well oh, no, if I've offended you, I, I am truly sorry.
3: Oh, you you have nothing to apologize for. Oh, does
4: that mean does that mean you'd consider becoming my wife?
3: Well, I I am quite fond of you, Armand. You know that.
4: Oh, you, you don't have to give me your answer now. Just take all the time you feel is necessary.
3: Do you think they'd approve?
4: Well whom are you referring to?
3: Your Martine and my Marcus.
4: Winifred, our happiness was important to them when they were alive. I'm positive that's not changed. There's no doubt in my mind that we have their blessing.
3: I believe you're right, Armand.
4: I accept your proposal. I will marry you. Oh, that is wonderful. A small, dignified ceremony. How does that sound? Quite proper considering the circumstance. I'll begin to make the arrangements first thing in the morning.
3: Fine.
4: Ah, what about the honeymoon?
3: What about it?
4: How about a cruise to an isle in the Caribbean?
3: That sounds lovely. You know, all of a sudden, I'm beginning to feel very excited by all (laughs) this. It's as if I were a girl of 20 again.
4: Oh, I only wish I could give you a cruise around the world. That would be more in line with what you're accustomed to, I'm sure.
3: Oh, you shouldn't even consider such things. I've been... Well provided for.
4: I want to provide for you, Winnie.
3: We'll manage just fine. Oh, I, I do all
4: right, but <laughs> I'd be doing a whole lot better if I hadn't uh, boxed myself into a rather frustrating situation. What do you mean? Well, a longtime business associate of mine contacted me the other day. Uh, he has a venture in the works that... Uh, what? Simply cannot miss. Well, that sounds encouraging. Oh, yes, yes. Anything my friend touches turns to gold. And he wants to let me in on the deal.
3: Well, why aren't you happy about it?
4: Well, at the moment, I'm what they refer to in financial circles as uh, cash poor. You see, all my capital is tied up in other investments. And it would be, well, impossible to shake any of it loose right now. Oh, that is unfortunate. Yes, sir. You know, I just had an idea. Uh, your late husband used to speculate in investments of this sort all the time. How would you like to carry on the family tradition?
3: How would I do that?
4: You could participate in the venture. Oh, I
3: don't know the first thing about
4: high finance. Marcus handled all the business affairs. Well, that is where I can help you. Now, I would act as, as the liaison between yourself and my friend.
3: But that still leaves you out in the cold.
4: Well, well not if I accept, say, 10% of the profits. Uh, it's a finder's fee.
3: This idea of becoming a businesswoman intrigues me. <laughs> Only I'm not sure I like your suggestion regarding the
4: division of
3: profits.
4: Oh, Well, well I'd take nothing gladly. They're helping you will be rewarded
3: enough. Amon, hmm? since we'll be sharing everything about our lives from now on, it seems only fair that we share whatever gains are gotten from this deal, 50-50. Tell me how much is needed, and I'll write the check. Hey,
2: Mrs. Van Drelen, uh, follow-up visits of this sort are routine. But sometimes they can be very productive.
1: I've been of absolutely no help.
2: Well, you're trying, and uh, that's all I can ask.
1: The names you mention mean absolutely nothing to me. Should I know these women?
2: Prior to your unfortunate experience, Paula Johnson and Jeanette Reagan were involved with a man we believe was your Mr. Mercado.
1: They were swindled, too.
2: Yeah, that appears to be the case.
1: Perhaps I should get together with these women we could form some kind of a club. (laughs) Uh,
2: There appears to be absolutely no connection between the three of you, yet one has to exist.
1: What makes you so sure of that?
2: Well, out of all the women in this area widowed recently, how did this man know the precise day you would be visiting your husband's gravesites?
1: That's a good question.
2: Mm. I can uncover his source of information. I would be that much closer to apprehending him.
1: Uh, excuse me. Hello?
3: Muffy, is that you? Who's calling? I'm not surprised you don't recognize my voice. It's been ages since we've spoken. This is Winnie Cropp
1: huh? from the Country Club. Oh, Winnie, yes, hello. Uh, could you hold on for just one second? Detective, is our business concluded? I would like to take this call.
2: Uh, I have no more questions, at least not now. Uh, but if you recall anything that might be of help, uh, would you please contact me?
1: Certainly, and I'd appreciate being kept up on all the progress of your investigation.
2: Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll show myself out. Good night.
1: Well, how are you, Winnie?
2: Couldn't be better,
1: actually. Well, that's nice to hear. I'm sorry we lost touch, I removed myself totally from the country club scene after Leonard died.
3: I did my own disappearing act after I lost Marcus.
1: And to what do I owe the pleasure of this call?
3: I have some wonderful news. I wanted to share it with an old friend.
1: I could use some happy news at this point, Winnie.
3: Are you ready for this? I'm going to
1: remarry. Really? Well, Winnie, I'm very happy for you. Congratulations. It
3: all happened so suddenly.
1: Well, from the sound of your voice, he must be someone very special.
3: Oh, he is, Muffy. I'll bet you've never met anyone like him.
1: Well, I'm intrigued. Tell me all about this knight in shining armor.
3: Well, for starters, you'll never guess where I met him.
1: Winnie. When did you say that you and Mr. Grenville were planning to be married? Oh, I expect to be Mrs. Armand
3: Grenville within a week, or two at the most.
1: Uh, Look, Winnie, would it be possible for me to come over to your house right now?
3: Isn't it a bit late to pay a social call?
1: It's important that we talk. Very important. The last thing I want to do is hurt you, Winnie. You're not going to like what I have to tell you. You're frightening me. Winnie, you won't be marrying Armand Grinville. How can you say such a thing? We're engaged. The wedding will never take place. Believe me.
3: Are you all right, Winnie? Oh, I never expected to hear a
1: story like the one you just told me. Is it possible? There's some mistake. Oh, the pattern is all too clear. This man has as much intention of marrying you as he did me. I can't believe it. I simply can't. Oh, but you must, Winnie. Your Armand is most certainly my Andre. Why would he tell us both that he loved us if he didn't? Oh, suitor, loves something about us, all right. Our money. The man is a taker, and we've been taken, but good. I'll call the police. Don't you touch that phone. You'll do no such thing. I don't understand. We're going to take care of that 2 time gold digger all by ourselves.
2: I don't think the captain's going to be too happy about this progress report, Harry. It sounds more like a non-progress report. Well, I'm doing the best I can, Petey.
4: Well, Mrs. Drayland and the others haven't given you all that much to go on. Uh,
2: I could only figure out where Loverboy planned to strike next. He can't stake out every cemetery, Harry. Well, I hate to sit on my hands. I guess about all I can do is wait for the phone to ring. And who's going to be on the
4: other end of the line, huh?
2: The next intended contributor to Loverboy's health and welfare plan. Before... She writes any checks, hopefully.
4: Well, how is that gonna happen?
2: I don't know. Maybe the guy will pick up a mark who's not taken in as easily as the others were. Maybe she'll smell the rat and contact us. You're grasping at straws, Harry. Beatty, if you have any bright ideas, I'd be more than happy to listen to them. If not, then just as soon you buried your nose in the sports page again. Hmm.
4: Harry, this is a red-letter day. My Hawks have all but clinched the championship.
2: Listen, Petey, you're getting a little ahead of yourself, aren't you? It's only mid-season.
4: You know the old saying, the team that's in first at the halfway point in the schedule is a cinch for the championship.
2: Yeah, well, I wouldn't throw any victory parties just yet, Petey. There's 40 games to go, and the Blue Devils are only a game behind. Harry, the Hawks are a lock. It's going to be
4: just like last season. What do you mean, just like last season? Well, a year ago today, the Hawks were in first. And they copped the top spot at the end of the year. It's going to happen again.
2: Beatty. Hmm? You got your facts a little mixed up. This time last year, the Hawks were in a terrible slump. They were in third place, not first.
4: Harry, you're telling the biggest Hawks fan in this town that he doesn't know what he's talking about?
2: We all make mistakes. Well... Questioning me about my team is yours. Let's not make a big deal out of nothing, huh, Petey? A sawbuck says I'm right, huh? (laughs) I'll take you out for a cup of coffee. But that's about it.
4: Well, it's a bet.
2: All right. Okay. Uh so now how do we find out where the team stood exactly a year ago today? Well, the paper always prints the standings. Uh I may be a bit of a pack rat, but I don't have 365 back issues of the Herald Chronicle sitting around my house.
4: I know where they do.
2: Where? They
4: keep all the past issues on file, on microfilm, down at the library. Inadvertently,
0: Detective Warren has just been handed an invaluable piece of information. If his powers of deduction are up to snuff, he may soon be hot on the trail of our elusive con man. However, Murphy and Winifred are also looking for the man who done them wrong. Now, if the police reach Bishop first, he'll be arrested. But what will be his face if the ladies make the initial sighting? It sounded like they were planning to meet out their own form of justice. We'll see who wins the race as our story races to its conclusion in Act Three. to the Mystery Theater on your conversation station, WMCA, New York. In the case of the wager between Harry and his friend Petey, the revelation of certain facts will cost one of them the price of a cup of coffee. I doubt either one will mind paying that debt. But if certain facts pertaining to the activities of Augustus Bishop should be uncovered, his debt to society will prove infinitely more costly. At Petey's suggestion, Harry has gone to the library. Would anyone care to wager how many scores this fact-finding mission will settle?
2: Hey, Petey, I called to tell you that I owe you that cup of coffee. Huh?
4: I told you when it comes to the haunts I'm a walking encyclopedia, huh? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I'll be more than happy to pay off. Especially if my hunch about those other anniversaries is right. (laughs)
4: Division headquarters, Sergeant Kelly speaking.
2: It's me again, Petey. Hey, guess what? The dates coincide. Yeah, I went through the back issues. Every victim was met at the cemetery by this charmer on the first anniversary of their husband's death.
4: Well, my con man come up with a pretty clever angle, huh?
2: hmm Figures the women would only show up to pay their respects a year to the day that they lost their husbands, right? So
4: all this guy had to do was check the obituaries, pick the richest dude to pass on, and then uh, head out to his gravesite, huh?
2: Right. Sounds simple, right? Doesn't it?
4: Harry, we may know how this guy set these women up, but we aren't any closer to figuring out who he is.
2: (laughs) That's where you're wrong, Petey. (laughs) Miss Harris, has anyone else requested the same microfilm material uh, as, as I just looked at?
3: How would I know that?
2: Well, you're in charge of this section of the library. And...
3: True. But it would be impossible for me to recall every row of microfilm that's been taken out. Uh,
2: could I see the uh, sign-out book? The dates and names would be recorded in there. Uh, here's my identification and badge.
3: Oh. You're a police officer.
2: Yes, and I'm on duty, Miss Harris.
3: This is highly irregular.
2: Uh, I'm sure that you have your rules, but refusing me access to that book is only wasting precious time. Because I can easily get a court order that will force you to let me see it. Uh, it's, it's in my office.
3: Have a seat. I'll get it.
2: Thank
3: you. How did this happen? have that record book, my next job will be in a prison library. Hello? Oh, thank goodness you're home.
2: Rosie, what's up?
3: The jig is up, Augie. We've got trouble, big trouble. A cop is here asking questions, all the wrong questions.
4: You think he knows?
3: I know he knows.
4: You told me this scam was flawless.
3: I guess I was wrong.
4: I told you we were pushing our luck.
3: Do you want to haggle over whose fault this is? Or do you want to stay one step ahead of the law?
4: Well, what do we do now?
3: Well, maybe I'll go out in a few minutes and tell this flatfoot I couldn't find the information he wanted.
4: But will he believe you?
3: Not for a minute. But it'll buy you time to pack. Stuff everything in the suitcases. I'll be over as soon as I can, and we'll bid this city a fond farewell. (laughs)
4: Rosie. It's been 20 minutes. Let's get a move on. It's about time. Good heavens.
1: Hello,
3: Andre. Armand, it's so nice to see you
4: again. Marie? Winifred, well, what, what are you both doing here? Why, our
1: friend appears surprised to see us, Winnie. I do hope it's a pleasant
3: surprise, Armand. Who is it Augustus? Augustus
4: Bishop. Well, uh, and, uh, how did you find out my name? Uh, how did you find me?
1: Oh, it was quite simple, actually. Do you remember that day not too long ago when you offered to light my after-dinner cigarette? Oh no, I always did that. Oh yes, you were so gallant. Only this particular day, the silver table lighter was out of butane, so you reached into your pocket and took out a pack of matches and completed the task.
4: Uh, yes, uh, get to the point. You left
1: the matches behind. When it became necessary to locate you, we took a chance and paid a visit to the tavern advertised on the cover of that
3: matchbook. It's rather a seedy place. I was disappointed to
1: learn that you frequent such an undesirable establishment. The proprietor of the watering hole was reluctant to admit he knew anyone answering your description. But you would be surprised how a $20 bill can jog a man's memory.
4: Jerry told you for a lousy 20 bucks. Well, since you owe him $40, he saw
3: it as a way to cut his losses in half.
4: <laughs> well, ladies, I, I would love to chit-chat, but I, I am in a bit of a hurry. You know,
1: this won't take long.
4: Uh, look, look, look. I am sorry that things didn't work out, but these things happen. Don't and, uh,
1: try to patronize us. You played us for fools long enough.
4: <sighs> what do you want?
1: We've come to settle the debt.
4: I don't know what you're talking about. You
1: owe us each $10,000. Uh-uh.
4: You gave me that money.
1: You duped us into writing those checks. We want our money back.
4: Uh, As well, I'm afraid I can't oblige you.
1: Why not?
4: It's gone. Uh, uh, Most of it is, anyway. Uh, uh, Look, just consider it a bad debt. It's tax deductible.
1: How dare you make light of this? You toyed with our affections and took our money. We're not about to forgive and forget.
4: Well, I can't give you back what I don't have.
1: Well, then you leave us no choice but to put Plan B into effect.
4: Plan B? But, uh, yes, uh, well, what is Plan B?
1: We are going to take care of you, Mr. Bishop. All your worries will soon be over. Uh,
4: how's that?
1: Have you ever been to
3: Florida, Mr. Bishop?
4: Well, uh, uh, what is in Florida?
3: Palm trees, lovely beaches. And a warm sun that shines all year round. Not like here. Whithy and I are going to be in Florida. We've purchased condominiums in an exclusive retirement village. You're coming with us.
2: I am what?
3: We've given this matter a great deal of thought. You are a scoundrel.
1: And you really do belong in jail. But you also have a certain charm about you, one that brought a great deal of pleasure to the lonely lives we were leading. So you'll accompany us to Florida, Mr. Bishop. Once there, you will be in our employ, working off your considerable debt.
4: Well, uh, how am I supposed to do that?
1: You're to be available to us at any given time. Should we go shopping, you'll drive and carry packages. When we go to dinner, you'll order and keep up your end of the conversation. At the pool, you'll make sure we have all the necessary amenities.
4: I am to be your servant. That's what this job amounts to.
3: We'll refer to you as our companion, if that
1: sounds more palatable.
4: Well, what if I refuse?
1: We may not be the ideal female companionship you're seeking, Mr. Bishop... But your social life will be considerably better in Florida than in the state penitentiary.
4: Oh, no, no. You... You wouldn't send me there. You... You couldn't be that heartless.
1: Unless you agree to our terms, you leave us no alternative but to inform the police
4: of your illicit activity. What you are doing is tantamount to blackmail. We
3: like to think of this arrangement as prepayment for services to
1: be rendered.
4: Rosie, it is about time. What's
1: going on here? Be polite, Mr. Bishop. Introduce us to your friend. Augie, who are these biddies? I beg your pardon?
4: Uh, 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 Rosie, you have just insulted Winifred Croft and Muffy Van Freeland.
3: How did
1: your little harem find you?
4: Oh, does it matter?
1: What are they doing here? We came to make Mr. Bishop an offer.
4: Uh, The ladies want me to go to Florida with them. Why? So I can work off the money I owe them by catering to them hand and foot. (laughs) Oh, you really cooked up a great scheme, Rosie.
3: You're not going anywhere.
4: Well, if I say no, they'll tell the cops.
3: Augie, you're not considering going with them.
4: What are my choices? Who could that be? It's probably the welcome wagon
2: from the retirement village.
3: Who is it?
2: Uh, Detective Warren, Miss Harris. Oh, open the door, Rosie. The more the merrier.
1: Oh, come in, Detective. Nice to see you again, Detective.
2: Well, well, hello, Mrs. Randreeland. I uh, didn't expect to find you here. It appears as if I have crashed a party with a very interesting guest list.
1: I'd like you to meet my friend, Winifred Croft. A pleasure, detective.
2: Hello, Mrs. Croft. Um, I've not been introduced to this gentleman, but I believe I know him by reputation. Uh, Yes, uh, Augustus Bishop at your service, detective. Uh, Uh, Mr. Bishop, you wouldn't happen to go by the names Andre Mercado and Armand Grenville when it suits your purposes. Well, they are my twin brothers. (laughs) People get us confused all the time.
3: You made very good time getting over here, Detective.
2: Well, when you didn't return with that sign-out book, I began to get suspicious when the head librarian told me you left suddenly with a splitting headache.
3: I suppose I should have been more subtle.
2: The library provided me with your address.
3: We would have been long gone
1: by now if it wasn't for Augie's fan club. Detective, I'm afraid you've made this trip for nothing. Uh,
2: Mrs. Van Drelen, this man did steal your money.
1: Well, Mr. Bishop's past behavior has been rather criminal, but we've just had a lovely talk. He's seen the error of his ways, so much so that he's agreed to make full restitution. Isn't that right, Mr. Bishop? Uh,
4: yes, yes. Uh, the matter of those checks was nothing more than uh, an unfortunate a
2: misunderstanding.
1: I've appreciated your efforts in my behalf, Detective. But as it turns out, I won't be pressing any charges.
2: But, uh, uh Mrs. Van Drillen, you can't do that. I I, I I, can't allow you to.
1: The decision has been made.
2: But this man is a liar and a thief. How, how can you let him go unpunished?
1: It's the practical solution.
2: Hmm. Practical. Well, whatever bargain you struck, it cannot be worth it. Uh, Detective, you you have no further business here, so I suggest you leave and pursue some, uh, wanted criminals. Uh, Mrs. Van Drillen, I'm not going to let this matter drop simply because. Uh, you've heard the lady. The matter is settled. Are you really going to let this man go free, Mrs. Van Drillen?
1: It's what I want, Detective. Please respect my
4: wishes. Uh, uh, Muffy,
2: Muffy, I have an idea.
4: One that will ensure that the Detective Warren will close the case and keep it closed.
1: And what is that, Mr. Bishop?
4: Well, if uh, you and Winnie and the others sign a statement attesting to the fact that the money you gave me was for a business transaction, uh, which it is... As it turns out, uh, the police will have no recourse but to consider the matter closed. Well, I would be
1: willing to do that. How about you, Winnie? I don't see why not.
2: Oh, wonderful. Now, take this pad from my desk. Uh, ladies, you're making a very
4: big mistake. Yes, yes, yes. Now, here's the pen.
1: Where did you get this pen? What? How did you come into possession of this pen? Well,
4: I, I, I I'm not sure. I, I, you gave it to me as a gift, I think. I, I did, did. no such thing. Well, it, it, it isn't really important. It, now it's just a pen. Mr. Bishop,
1: how could you? How could I? I gave that pen to my late husband as a gift the first Christmas we spent together as man and wife. Leonard cherished that pen so that he kept it displayed prominently on his desk in his study. As a matter of fact, the only time Leonard used that writing instrument was to send a
4: card or personal note to me. but I... I, I'm sorry. I didn't know. You
1: stole that... No, no.
4: I must have picked it up by accident. Oh, here. Take it
1: back. There's no harm done. Mr. Bishop, I reconciled myself to overlooking your taking my money because the dollars were replaceable. But it's become apparent that you want to steal my memories as well. That I cannot and will not condone. But I meant no harm. You have
4: got to forgive me.
1: I am going to sign a statement, Mr. Bishop. But one with a slightly different content than you had in mind. It won't keep you out of jail. It's going to put you in. (sighs)
0: Detective Warren was only too willing to satisfy Mrs. Van Drilin's desire to sign on the dotted line. She made the formal complaint official with a stroke of pen that was worthy of John Hancock himself. In a way, Muffy was signing her own Declaration of Independence. The money lost was irretrievable, but the self-respect she gained by not allowing herself to be taken advantage of was worth much more than can be measured in dollars and cents. She returned shortly. The ability to provide for the needs of another can be a blessing. In Augustus Bishop's case, it turned out to be a curse. Had Augustus selected only one wealthy widow, he would have been well taken care of and might even found true happiness. Instead, he now sits in a jail cell, contemplating the error of his ways. Personally, I'm not sure if Bishop will think twice about stealing another heart when he sets free. But I'm quite sure it will be a long time before he pilfers another pen. Our cast included Elspeth Eric, Fred Gwynn, Edith Juster, and Earl Hammond. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Raven House Paperback Mysteries. This is Tammy Grimes inviting you to return to our Mystery Theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. I'm
4: very far, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what we're doing.